Welcome back to iGen Politics, the podcast that makes politics engaging and relevant for all generations. This is Victor Shee. And I'm Jill Wine-Banks, and today's Jill's Pin is a donkey and an elephant with boxing gloves on because our guest today is going to talk a lot about campaigns and the fight that has to go on during them. We are coming to you exactly one week away from two very big local elections. The first is the Supreme Court election in Wisconsin, which will impact things like the future of voting and abortion rights in Wisconsin. And the second is the mayoral election in my and Jill's hometown, Chicago. Today, we are excited to talk about the importance of both of those elections, as well as look ahead to 2024 and how Democrats and the media should be talking about Republicans. Joining us today is a veteran of many presidential, state, and local campaigns, including John Edwards, Doug Jones, Howard Dean, Ted Kennedy, and many, many more. Currently, Joe Trippi is an advisor to The Lincoln Project and hosts that Trippi Show podcast. He is also managing the campaign of Paul Vallis, who we are going to be talking about today, uh, as I'm particularly interested in what's going on in that race as a Chicago uh, resident, who is one of, that is he, Paul, is one of the two finalists in a runoff election, which is gonna be held next week. Um, Joe, it's great to have you with us today. We're very excited to be talking about all of these things. Uh, Great to be with you guys. So let's start off by talking about the Wisconsin State Supreme Court election. First, I mean, give us a broad overview. Why should we be paying attention to that race? Because it's going to decide a whole lot. I mean, it, 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 you know, you know, this is one of those uh, where elections have consequences. We've already seen what happens with the U.S. Supreme Court and the consequence of Trump being able to to make those appointments in Wisconsin. It's an elected position, and uh, uh, this is the it, it could be a deciding vote. On, on everything. I mean, the things that we've all been looking at from uh, all the efforts to, uh, after Dobbs, to take away uh, and restrict or deny a woman's uh, abortion rights, um, guns. I mean, e- everything, every decision that could be made uh, by the Supreme Court of Wisconsin is going to come down um, to whether the, the Democrat progressive person wins a <laughs> wins seat. It's really important. And of course, a lot of uh, people from Illinois are heading to Wisconsin to help in getting out the vote for this. But the courts have been something Democrats haven't really focused on as much as the Republicans have. Is that starting to change? What are your thoughts? I mean, Ben Winkler has been doing a great job. He's been a guest on this show uh, talking about this particular race. But what is the message that's going to resonate to get out the vote? Well, first of all, he, he's going to be on uh, that trippy show this week as well. So he's terrific. We're, we're, we're yeah, we're we're looking at the same. Uh, you know, this is very, very important. Um, yeah. election. Look, Democrats have um, and progressives, I think, um, didn't pay attention to a lot of things. I mean, local legislative elections, we didn't pay attention to, um, you know, as Republicans really focused on on winning local legislature seats. The same with these uh, elected uh, judgeships around the, the, the country. I think um, you're right uh, th- th- that there's been more of a focus now. In fact, that the, the fact that we're even talking about this yeah. um, may be the first year where there was actually, like, where, 
with podcasts, we're talking about the importance of of a Supreme Court race in in, in Wisconsin. Um, but yes, I mean, uh, I think anybody who's who's uh, got the ability to get to, to help in Wisconsin, um, to help with the Democratic Party there in terms of what they need uh, to make sure the vote gets out, those kinds of things, really important. And if you're away um, and can make phone calls or, or, or sign up through through the union, you know, we have jointheunion.us, which encourages people to connect locally uh, wherever they are to, to make an impact. Um, Wisconsin, uh, that, that, this Supreme court race is, is may well be the, the, one of the more critical races in that state in some time, given what the impact it could have on the future. And we'll put the links in our show notes so that our audience can help out in this very important race. So let's turn to the Chicago mayoral election. Uh, you manage Paul Vallis's campaign. Talk I'm, a, to us. I'm the strategist. I'm not the, the, okay. the day-to-day manager. Well, that's even, that's that's even a, not more the campaign manager. Okay. I'm too old right. to do that. Right. Let's talk <laughs> about the, the strategy because that is really crucial. You have in Chicago a real uh, democratic division between a very liberal, uh, progressive candidate and a conservative, Paul Vallis, uh, you have someone who has the support of the uh, police union and someone who has the support of the teachers union. And it's it's really been quite a difficult choice for Chicagoans to choose between the two visions being offered. And Vallis is doing a very heavy push on crime. But can you talk about his strategy and what he would be like as mayor? Yeah, I mean, look, uh, Paul Vallis is more of a, a, a Joe Biden, Dick Durbin um, Democrat. Uh, he's not a, you know, he, 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 where, where he's not a Bernie Sanders, uh, uh, Elizabeth Warren Democrat. Uh, and so, you know, that, that division's been going on in the party for quite some time. Um, and, and again, I think um, you're right. I mean, I look, I think right now, um, the race is is uh, is going to be very very close. Uh, people are, uh, uh, are you know are out organizing, knocking on doors right now, and uh, uh, I, I'm not you know I'm not here to kind of promote my candidates. I mean that's not you know I, I'd love to answer any of your questions about about um, uh, what's going on. But look, that race is going to be tight. It's going to be a, a it's going to be I my guess would be decided by less than a point or two um, in, in the end. And um, I also think that, um, you know, from Paul's point of view, yeah, let me give you a couple of examples of like why this whole the, the conservative uh, it's not concert. It, it's not a he's not a conservative Democrat. He really is a Joe Biden uh, Dick Durbin kind of de- yeah. Democrat. I mean, when I did, let me I'll give you an example. He ran as a Democrat against Bogoyevich uh, in 2001, I think it was. Uh, and at the time, uh, you know, just getting to know him, it, at the time he was, um, he ran and publicly uh, supported gay marriage. Now, this is 2001. Just to, for, to give everybody, you know, a little sampling here, in 2003, I ran Howard Dean's campaign for president. Got to be the most one of the more progressive 
candidates that, that ran. And we were for we we were for domestic partnerships, which the majority of the Democratic Party thought might be disqualifying, going too far on on gay rights. Well, Paul Vallis was was way out ahead of Howard Dean, like three years ahead of him on, on gay marriage, ten to eleven years before yeah. Joe Biden or Barack Obama. Uh, came out for gay marriage. So, so this, what I'm trying to say is on, on, on issue after issue, if you really look at it, you know, on, on who's going to defend a woman's right to choose and make Chicago a safe haven uh, for women whose abortion rights are denied in other states. Paul Vallis and Brandon Johnson have the same exact position, right. same on gay marriage or any of those, th those kinds of issues. The difference, there, there is a difference um, uh, Chicago is down 1,700 um, uh, uh, police officers from where it should be. Um, Paul Ballas thinks that we should take it up to the 1,700, uh, fill that short, uh, short uh, uh, number of officers, and at the same time, um, hold the police accountable, um, institute reforms. Frankly, the the uh, um, the uh, uh, agreement that uh, he helped negotiate between the police and the city, he was uh, responsible for drafting the accountability measures in there that the police department, the police union agreed to. Um, and so what I'm saying is that there is this difference of opinion. I mean, Brandon wants to, to uh, cut the police department by uh, $150 million is, 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 his plan. And, um, and, you know, this is, it's very simple. Paul Vallis doesn't think this is a time to cut funding to the police department. He does think there's time. We, everybody, I don't think anybody does, who doesn't think that we have to hold the police department accountable, have reform, et cetera, et cetera. But in the, in the meantime, right now with the criminal, the crime crisis that's happening in Chicago, um, uh, it's kind of like you got to do both, not one or the other. Right. And that's, we can have an argument about that, but um, uh, look, I, in the end, that race will be a, a, you know, everybody's going to fight for every single vote because it will come down to that. I think in the end, I, I agree. Yeah. And, and I did not mean to suggest if I use the word conservative, it's only in contrast to the progressiveness of the, uh, of Brandon Johnson. So yeah. it well, wasn't to mean. suggest in any way that he was conservative. Yeah. He, and I would agree he is a moderate Democrat. Yeah. Um, he's, and, yeah. I mean, it's more a Joe Biden, yes. Bernie kind of divide in the party, you know, right. in, in right. where they are than anything else. Right. I, mean, I think it's going to be, like you said, a, yeah, I mean, it's going to be, like you said, a very, very close race. And um, I, I know there's been some criticisms of Paul Vallis, including questions over how he led schools in Philadelphia and some other t Twitter likes. But one of the things that I got a lot of questions about, um, at least from the primary, um, was just how low the turnout rate was among young people. And I'm wondering if there's any sort of calculus that's going into the campaign about how to reach young people in Chicago or why young Chicagoans are just turning out at such a low rate and kind of what Paul Vallis would offer students. Or young people. Well, I think look the the problem with with uh, youth turnout is the uh, writ large. <laughs> I mean, yeah, yeah. I mean, forget whether you know what wing of the party you're in or any you know any of those things. It's and I think some of it is self fulfilling, and I I mean by that is uh, you know there's a there's a 
you know, uh, younger voters don't vote. Therefore, campaigns don't spend any money talking to younger voters. They may they may talk about the issue. I mean, obviously, both Brandon and, and, and Paul have have tried to communicate with younger voters. I mean, you know, on the stump or have policy positions. But I'm saying that one of one of the things that happens is you look at the at who's going to vote, and if you know, in most particularly municipal elections, off year kind of elections. You look at the, the the data, and it's all old. You know, people over sixty five are you know the biggest part of the electorate, and the smallest part is are eighteen to thirty, eighteen to twenty five. The problem with that, Victor, and I know you've been working on this like crazy out there, but the problem with that is that I mean, I'm now just I'm not talking about Paul or Brandon. I'm talking about just as a campaign manager. The problem with that is, okay, you've got a you've got you know, two thousand dollars to spend. Um, are you going to spend it talking to the sixty-five-year-olds who are the you know big piece of the electorate, or take time and money to speak to a group that hasn't been voting now that hasn't been voting? What I would say is that's changing. It's changing a lot. I think gun violence, in particular, is a climate change. I mean, there's a number of different issues that are starting to to really energize and engage uh, and, and get more um, of the younger, uh, you know, Gen Z um, and others to, to, to actually get involved in politics and, and make a difference. And you're seeing a lot of them now uh, like yourself, I think, uh, which is why I, I, I like retweet everything you, you put out there because I think, we 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 as a party have to do a much better job of engaging um, in in with the younger generation and making and empowering them to have a real say. And um, I, I also think that the divide right now between sort of Trumpism and the Democratic Party um, is, you know, what what you're seeing is a lot of people who or not don't buy into the racism and the homophobia and particularly younger, younger voters um, that, that right now is a big opportunity um, that I see, um, you know, one of the things of being as old as I am um, is that uh, I've seen a, a few things. And one of the things that this really reminds me the the moment reminds me of when Ronald Reagan emerged in the early 80s and how, given where the Democratic Party was at the time, we were too, like way out ahead uh, on the progressive side. And, and I think most Americans felt we had gone too far and were out of step. Um, and that brings Reagan in. But but worse, we lost an entire generation of young people who were enamored with Reagan, joined the Republican Party, uh, and that generation that, that was coming of age, you know, 18, 20, 24, 25-year-olds in the Reagan era, um, became Republicans for the rest of their lives. Um, and frankly, a lot of them now are the MAGA people that 
would not Reagan wouldn't be part of their party, right? But you know, that's a different story. My point is, I think right now that same possibility is there um, in the opposite direction. I, I, I believe that the Republican Party under Trump is becoming anathema to the young generation. And, and it's now a huge opportunity for Democrats to speak to that generation, empower it, um, engage with it, your generation, Victor, and on, on gun violence, on climate change, on the, on, you know, the, the, the issues that are, that, that frankly, they're the ones that are going to be hit the hardest if we fail. Um, and so I think, I think there's a chance right now that the Republican Party is on the verge of losing your generation forever, like, like what happened to a lot of, uh, uh, to the Democratic Party with the during the Reagan era, and I might point out, you know, we again being a, I was a crazy progressive back in late seventies and early eighties. Not that I'm not now, but you know, you you, you learn a th few things. Um, that we want, we know we're right, and we want it. We want it our way now. Okay. That that's that's great. That's where how I was and it, it was back then. It turns out you can move way too fast for this country, and end up twelve years in the wilderness, like we did with Ronald Reagan for two terms and George Herbert Walker Bush for uh, for a term. Um, that's where I see the Republicans going now. But at the same time, I think that's part of this fight between sort of the. You, you know, I think Biden gets that right now people want calm, steady leadership in the right direction. I know a lot of progressives want bold, exciting, you know, uh, uh, but I think I think Biden has got it right in terms of where the country really is right now and what the opportunity will be to accomplish the things we want on climate change and other things as we, as we get more traction with your generation. So before we move more into the national 2024 uh, elections, I just want to follow up a little bit more on the Chicago race because uh, Victor and I are Chicagoans sure. and care a lot. Um, one of the biggest criticisms of Paul Vallis has been his um, criticism about how he's managed schools, both in Chicago, Philadelphia, New Orleans, uh, leaving devastation in his wake is what the critics say. Um, can you give us some response to that? That, um, you know, he has been endorsed by, uh, I, I worked, um, I was head of career and technical education under Arnie Duncan for the Chicago mm -hmm. Public Schools. And he has endorsed uh, Paul Vallis yeah. on the law enforcement side because of he feels that that's the critical issue. But education is a pretty important thing, too. And well, Arnie, Arnie was the, the, the Obama's secretary of education. Yes, of so he, he, he knows Paul. <laughs> he knows Paul's uh, skill set on the education uh, side right. of he, things. He didn't address that in his um, op-ed well, supporting again, because, him. But I'm asking you, as someone yeah. who knows him, to talk about it. I have not heard you know, any responses. Well, I mean, look, the, the, I mean, first of all, one of the reasons is the the, the main focus of, uh, uh, I mean, the number one top issue in the race, bar none, no matter who you are, 
and no matter what community you come from in, in Chicago is crime. I mean, that's, 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 that, I get yeah. that, but I'm, I'm saying right. so in the same no, way no, that we can do two Arnie, things at once. I'm can... talking about why Arnie Duncan talked more in his press conference about Paul's crime stuff than education. I'm not tr trying to skirt your, your question. I, I, I would just say that, that one Bill Clinton in the state of the union address, uh, uh, literally, literally called on the country to follow what the, had been accomplished under Paul Vallis's leadership as Chicago Public Schools. It's it's the 1999 uh, State of the Union address in which uh, in which he urged the country to follow what 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 Paul was doing at the time, or what Chicago schools were doing as Paul was was leading them. Um, you know, he he uh, he left Chicago schools with um, basically a it, it, teachers got pay raises. The the pension fund was fully funded over 100 percent when he when he left. People say, well, after he left, blah, blah, blah. Well, after he left, if somebody screwed up the budget and didn't didn't do it right and didn't put money back in. That's not Paul Vallis. You can say, look at what happened after Paul left. You know, that's all BS as far as I'm concerned. Hurricane Katrina wipes out, wipes out New Orleans schools. There were no schools. Um, he, he, I mean, this, some of these were like nearly impossible situations. Okay, there's no schools. What are you going to do? He stood up like 10,000 uh, classroom, you know, rooms for 10,000 students right, right away. Um, jury rigged a system, you know, to, to get people, uh, uh, children back in the classroom. By the way, it's very similar to now. We had uh, those kids in Katrina uh, went for, for a long time without being in a classroom. And by the way, didn't have, um, didn't have Zoom learning or any of that stuff, right? I mean, back, back when that happened. He, I mean, you know, and then people go, well, like, you know, look at what he did. I mean, th there, there's a reason why after he did what he did at Chicago uh, Public Schools, that when it when the New Orleans schools were blown, blown out, he was chosen. He was asked to come there when when Haiti uh, was whacked by an earthquake. Who's he, who who did they call on to come down there? and work on, on getting children back in schools, Paul Vallis. Chile, earthquake, Paul Vallis. Philadelphia, yeah, okay. And then everybody's going to complain about what he did to fix the school system that was so broken, they called in Paul Vallis? I mean, this is, I mean, you know, you know like, I understand why the teachers' union, uh, uh, you know, is supporting their lobbyist, okay? And, you know, we can all get into whether the lobbyist should be then doing, you know, the budget agreements and the and the and the you know and the contracts with the teachers union that he's a lobbyist for, but that you know that I mean so I understand why they are are pushing this line, but it again it, it, a lot of this is it's like the same thing. It's like oh he's not uh, he's not a Democrat. Yeah, well Joe Biden's a Democrat. Uh, it's all you know. It's easy to do. That's one of the problems you have in today's politics is it's very easy to just like, you know, make the, you, you know, basically make the attack. Um, 
and it's hard uh, to, to, you know, I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time or money pushing back on, on, on attacks on it, on a place right now where people aren't focused right now, they're focused on crime and the safety of their neighborhoods. And, um, and I, you know, it's not a hard thing. There's 1,700 fewer police than there should be. Um, you, you know, I don't know what will happen if Brandon is elected mayor. Does do do more officers leave? I, I have no idea how that'll play out. Uh, or the same for Paul, by the way. I mean, I'm, it's not that. I'm just saying. But but these are issues that people really need to think about before they cast their vote. Absolutely. Well, uh, these state and local elections are, are so critical, but let's shift to 2024 because it's shifting up to be a very interesting race. And I want to start on the Republican side. And um, I think it'd be remiss if we didn't mention Trump's rally in Waco um, over this past weekend. I- I'm wondering if you watched and uh, what were your reactions to what we saw uh, and kind of just to kind of top lines? Uh, you know, God, it's just it's going to get worse, by the way. I mean, the one thing I've been saying now is nationally, you know, one of the problems we still have is that people still think this is the Republican Party versus the Democratic Party. It's it's a right left thing. It's not a right left thing. It is full blown authoritarian, mean, fascist uh, movement um, versus democracy. And. The problem with that, look, look, when when a, a party, we talked about this at the top, when a party moves too far left or right and goes to the extreme, it gets it it loses. Uh, uh, and you know, and it can lose badly, and it can lose the whole thing for decades. You know, for like I said, Reagan, Reagan, Bush, right? Um, what's happening now is not a move to the to harder right conservatism. It's a move to the extreme on hate, anger, resentment, retribution, fascism. And that is a different, so so will it be rejected? I believe it will be by the American people. The problem is is that it's going to get darker in that direction. DeSantis and and, uh, uh, Trump will keep moving further and further down the doom drain um, and take be more than willing to take the country with it, uh, with them. The problem with that is, you know, when a when when progressives are wiped out for three elections in a row, we kind of re become more pragmatic. We think about things a little bit different. We alter our our, our the way, you know, our, our rhetoric. Uh, the same with the conservatives, Goldwater, et cetera. This will be far different because it, it, it is it is a call to violence and that call will get darker and darker. And when they lose there, it's not just, oh, we lost an election for two or three. No, this is when they lose the results, I think, are not going to be good for the country in terms of the, the violence that will um, will be, will have been fueled. Uh, and it, it, it's astonishing, not astonishing, but just, uh, again, just a, 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 another glimpse into how dark the parties become that no one, very few people have sta- stood up within the party to call it out and won't, it's, I think. 
it's it's appalling that no one has called this out and it is hard to imagine you said that it was going to get worse than waco and all i can think of is trump standing with his hand on his heart as the january 6th choir sings and i mean it's so appalling and it's so appalling that there are thousands and millions even of people who actually believe everything he's saying so it's 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 terrifying to me and one of the things that we want to talk to you about is how the media can help how should the media cover trump right now what what lessons should they have learned from his last two campaigns um and what's coming for a third should they cover his rallies at all should they have flashcards that come up saying lie uh alternate fact what can be done to get facts across to anyone who's paying attention to the media? I, I, like I said, I think the big problem is the media still sees this as, as Republican versus Democrat. You see CNN trying to, to like mm-hmm. do the, the, you know, the, the, the both sides thing, we invite more, you know, Esper and more uh, uh, Republicans from the Trump administration are now, uh, you, you, you know, are now on the panels um, in a way that treats the parties as, you know, as there's still two, two pro-democracy parties. And there isn't, there are not two pro-democracy parties. They have, the press needs to understand that the freedom of the press, that the, I mean, all the different things that democracy and our constitution is, is, are at stake right now. And they need to treat it that way and report it that way. Um, it's not, there's two sides to the story. One, I, I put it this way, there's a difference between being objective and reporting the truth and being subjectively trying to say, hey, look, we've talked to both sides here and you decide what's, what's true. Um, that's where they are. They are stuck there. And by the way, I'm not sure they'll get out. That's why we started Resolute Square to, uh, with the, my friends at the Lincoln Project to, to try to start uh, and why I think uh, your podcast and others that are out there are important because they're, you know, they're, they're not going to do the both sides. We're going to report or, 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 or amplify what's true, take on the Trump lies and everything else that's going on out there from the disinformation that Fox News and everybody puts out. Um, and th- that's the other problem. The other problem is that, look, these, the, you know, Fox News, uh, Newsmax, uh, uh, Breitbart, all, I mean, Alex Jones, all of it, they, they, they invested billions of dollars and 20, 30 years at least to build that outrage machine that doesn't deal with facts or anything. It just deals with, creates another outrage, another way to go after them, whoever the new them is. Um, and, and they're going to keep doing that. And, it, and, and the, the no one on our side of, you know, on the pro-democracy side spent a dime building the opposite. I mean, we don't have, uh, Jeff Bezos is not, he, he may have bought the Washington Post, but he's not um, saying here, Victor, uh, Jill, Joe, uh, here's a, here's a, 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 you know, a few million dollars uh, to start your, you know, to start a platform 
that takes on the disinformation and the outrage machine and exposes um, the lies. Uh, and so, yeah, you're doing it. We're doing, I mean, different, different entity, uh, the, the bulwark. I mean, there's all kinds of uh, pod save America. I mean, it's start, it's all happening uh, uh, in, in a way that's totally different from the way, I mean, they have a billion, you know, they have billionaires they just go to and say, Hey, Hey, write a big check so we can go attack trans people, you know, or whatever they decide they're going to go after next. I, I think you're right. I, I do want to say, and of course I'm biased um, because I am an MSNBC contributor, but I do see the pushback on MSNBC. When I hear anchors reporting, they will always say, without a shred of evidence, so-and-so said. So yeah. they are putting it in context and helping. The problem is two part. One is how should Democrats be handling this and what should they be saying? But two is how do you reach the audience that only tunes in to Fox, Breitbart, et cetera? Uh, that's the important thing. If they didn't, for example, Fox isn't covering the fact that their emails show they knowingly lied to their audience and that they have no respect for their audience or for that matter, for their guests, that that's not being reported. So the people who watch Fox still believe Fox tells the truth. How do you get those people to be aware? There is some, you know, there is some diminution in believing the election is stolen as this information has come out, but it's not enough. So what's the answer there? Uh, it's look, the, the first part of that is that, that, that um, it's not, I don't blame MSNBC. I mean, it's not about the, a, a channel. It's just not what, what media was, the, what the, what journalists were taught, right. That, that, that I mean, they, they, you've grown up, uh, you know, and so, they're not going, you know, I, I think they should be much stronger in exposing the authoritarian um, side of what's what's happened and not dance around it um, in the fascist side. Um, Democrats, our problem is, look, the problem with an authoritarian party is that um, all, everything is uh, there. There's no real merit to anything or you got great ideas. It's proximity to dear leader. And so dear leader decides what we're talking about. And everybody in the party immediately mimics and says what dear leader wants. That's how an authoritarian it's a, it's a, it's a vertical constructed party. Um, and it's got plenty of vertical media outlets like Fox. Everybody knows, hey, go there, see what the what the line of the day is and repeat it. Democrats and progressives have a different problem. We're not a horizontal, we're not a vertical party, we're horizontal. We have several different leaders uh, geographically within different groups. And, you know, if Joe Biden said to all of us tomorrow morning, you need to go out and say this, this is the party line. We'd all say bullshit. Yeah, yeah. It's not going to happen. That's not how we, you know, we'll have, Bernie will say something. I mean, people, will, we, we have the, this debate within the party. Um, and because of that, you'll never get the same kind of discipline at attacking what they, what they are now. I mean, what that party's become. And by the way, they, 
they weren't always this way. I mean, they had wings too, and we, you know, and, and, and debates within their party about policy. No, now it's, I mean, look, their platform is whatever Trump says their platform is. I mean, this is how obvious this has become that they're, they are a vertical party that, 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 that reveres the top and things come down from the top down and everybody gets in lockstep. That is, pretty close to how some really bad things happened uh, in the 1930s and et cetera. The party's getting deeper and deeper into that dark stuff, right? The, the Democratic, the other part of the Democratic Party is, doesn't really realize, not everybody in the party, just like there's not everybody in the Republican Party, recognizes this threat. Not everybody in the press recognizes what the threat is. So you now have people who, who kind of like aren't, have, you know, have some questions about the where this authoritarian movement in the Republican Party go. But I've seen the focus groups where they sit there and go, but I've been a Republican my entire life. I can't possibly vote for a, a, and then they, they spit out the word Democrat like it's poison, right? So what I'm, I mean, because it's a conditioned, you know, it's been 250 years of, or, you know, a long time of this conditioning that there's two parties, they're both, you know, want what, what's best for the country, you know, it, yeah, no, that's not true. One's now anti-democratic and, 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 and so to get to where Democrats are, um, I think we as a whole, I mean, I, I don't remember when, when, um, uh, we, part of the whole thing was like, you couldn't even get Democrats to say he was lying. I mean, no one would use the lie word, right? I mean, to, I mean, I'm talking about, years ago now <laughs> but 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 what i'm saying is like you no know, we have to start calling this out for what it is and um and not get let up on them because part of what they also do is exhaust you it's like you know new outrage exhaust you create another outrage exhaust you and people start tuning out um and that's how authoritarians end up that's how democracy dies eventually. Almost, almost always, it's not because there was no fight. It was the everybody just got so exhausted, and when they woke up one day, the authoritarians were in charge. That's what Trump. And look, the other problem here, and this is just the truth, Donald Trump. There's only one way out for him. It's not to do a plea deal. It's not to cut some deal for a pardon. That's not. There's only one freaking way out for Donald Trump, and that's to win. He knows that if he's president, he pardoned himself. He, he will run the world. I mean, in Donald Trump's head, right? He will be in charge of everything. Katie, bar the door. I will get retribution. He means that. I will get revenge. I will be your retribution. And he won't worry one whit about the American legal system. He got him through the first four years. It'll get him through the next. So he is going to be massively driven. All this talk about oh, maybe he won't. No, he is going. He will destroy DeSantis and anything that gets in his way in their party. Because you're already seeing Nikki Haley yeah. and Scott like join uh, the dark side. I mean, really go dark on... The retribution and other and the other stuff that he's pushing right now. Well, we it's may not be communicating true. it, but at least anybody listening today is going to realize that we are now 
the Democratic Party and a fascist authoritarian I mean, yeah. MAGA party. Yeah. And yeah. there may be some independents and some former Republicans who can't join the Democrats, but who cannot continue to support yeah. what is the loss of our entire country. So, um, and I think more and more than ever before in 2024, I mean, it's going to be the choice that matters. Um, it's not a referendum, it's a choice. Uh, and, it's, and, and the contrast couldn't be clearer. But I do want to end on a bit of a hopefully lighter note um, and, and for our younger um, listeners out there, which is you've managed many, many campaigns. You've been on many campaigns on the federal, state, local level. Um, so first of all, I, I want to ask you, I, what is it like manage a campaign? And I mean, is the image of someone who gets no sleep, lives on coffee, gets takeout pizza at night ring true? And what advice do you have for young people who yeah. might be thinking of a line of work in politics and on campaigns at high levels? Well, I mean, first of all, yes, for me, that rang true. Okay. I mean, I, 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 during the Dean campaign, I was getting like two hours of sleep a night. Um, I used to think that um, anybody who said they fell asleep on their feet, like, yeah, right. Like how the hell does that happen? How can you be standing there? You know? And one morning I went down to get a cup of coffee after having no sleep at the coffee shop in the basement of the, of the headquarters, you know, in the same building. And I went down and I was ordering a cup of coffee and the realization that you literally can fall asleep on your feet hit me just as I hit the ground and broke every rib on my, on my left side. Because oh, what happens oh when gosh. you no no what happens when you fall asleep on your feet, it turns out you, right. you, <laughs> you, just you collapse. You, yeah. You just collapse. And there's like, no, there is no like defensive, like, you know, stop your fall or anything, wow. you're hitting like a rag doll. Um, and so, no, no, yeah, this is all true. I'll tell you the thing I say to everybody, um, young person, every young person out there should, should immediately, one, get involved in, a, in, in 2024 in, in, a, in a race. I mean, whether it's congressional, Senate, where you think you can make a difference. But somewhere in, when you're young, work in a presidential campaign. And I guarantee you that one, you'll make a huge difference. Two, you will say at the end of it, win or lose, um, you will say at the end of it, that was the greatest experience I've ever had in my life. And then I'm going to just one cautionary note for most of you who do it and say, this is the most, that was the greatest thing I've ever done. It was the best experience I've ever had in my life the very next sentence out of your mouth will be, please, God, don't let me ever do that again. <laughs> and well, the, <laughs> the reason is, yeah, none. And you're talking to a guy who said that and then nine times or eight times. Right, like right. But, <laughs> but it is because of that. It takes the physical and mental yeah, drain yeah. of a presidential campaign, the amount of pressure. Um, it's one thing when you're like one of the 13 people that – 13 candidates out there, but yeah. uh, that pressure is okay. But then you like with, I was with Mondale when we got the nomination. You, okay. That pressure goes up tenfold the day you get the nomination. Now the entire, not just the party, but the entire future of the country. Indeed. If you look at Trump and Biden and that the world, I mean, what happened, you know, the, the, the impact on the world is now sitting in that camp, you know, in that campaign apparatus that you're that you're part of or leading, 
Um, the the amount of that's what I'm saying when with the amount each step of the way every primary every each step of the way the the weight of that on your shoulders is incredible and so at the end of it you're like God that was the greatest experience I ever had but and you just throw that crap off of you and go but please don't put that on me ever again. Um, and so, like, I, but you see what the consequences are. I mean, when a Trump wins or, or a Biden uh, uh, wins. And, um, yeah, there are lesser, uh, I mean, the same thing with the Supreme Court race in Wisconsin, I mean, in different ways. Um, so, right, somewhere right now there's a campaign manager in that race. Who knows? It's not just to win the race or lose the race. It's, it's rulings here. I mean, things that are going to impact you know, it's one thing when you, if you're not the nominee to be the Supreme Court justice, right? But you are now. It all it, that's what I'm saying. It, it it increases the higher up the that that level of the politics and the the what the what the the win or the loss in the race can mean to millions of people is a, a very humbling experience. So one last question, even though you don't follow your own advice because you told yourself, yeah. don't let me do this again. And you did it again and again and Look, again. I'm but Al Pacino. <laughs> I keep thinking every time I think I got out, they pull me. They pull, they me. pull you back in. <laughs> <laughs> but you were, when you were very young in, in this business, you were portrayed in a movie with Hugh Jackman, uh, the front runner, yeah. about your role in the Gary Hart campaign, a campaign I remember very well. And I remember everything yeah, about unfortunately, it. Unfortunately, I do too. Yeah, okay. yeah. And and for those younger people who don't know who Gary Hart is or what monkey business means, look it up. Um, and Victor probably does because he's a super uh, knowledgeable political junkie. But uh, anyway, how do you think you were portrayed in that movie? Did you like it? Was it fun to be portrayed in a film? Uh, it was, uh, it, it was, yeah, I mean, all those things fun. It was, it, 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 I've learned a lot of lessons about how they, they have to use dramatic license and, um, and change how, what really happened, um, which is always disappointing, mm -hmm. um, to me. I mean, when it, you know, cause I, I think the real story of how I got the job of being, uh, uh, Lee Hart, wife's, uh, uh, chief of staff, when, when it all hit the fan, um, it was probably better, would have been better than what they did, but it was, you know, I, I, I thought the movie was an honest portrayal, uh, it, as you can condense one hellish period of my life or anybody's life into a two hour thing and Gary Hart's life for sure. Um, it, it, it did a, a, a very good job and it was fun going up to the, to New York for the, for the premiere and, and meeting the guy who played me and, uh, uh, Oliver Cooper, uh, and, and others, it was, it, it, you know, so, but you know, I, it's a, been a weird, wild ride. Um, I mean, I was, you know, I woke up one day, I was like sitting at home on a Saturday night and, and, uh, uh, you know, it's the cold open on Saturday night live is, is, is Fred Amerson playing me. Um, and, uh, uh, and somebody playing Greta Van Sester. I mean, it was a, you know, and I had no idea, right. And Seth Myers wrote the, wrote the cold open 
and so, you know, there, that was the only day, there's only been two days that my kids thought I was cool. That was one, <laughs> you know, you know, they saw South Saturday Night Live. That's gotta be, you know, it's how, it's how absolutely. Cool. And I'm still absolutely. trying to remember what the second time they thought I was cool. What it was, but I, 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 I'll check I'll, in and let us know. I, will. <laughs> I, I, I had that same experience when I was at seeing Michael Moore's movie Fahrenheit 9-11 and just in the audience watching it. And all of a sudden, I'm on the screen. Yeah, yeah, that's right. It was one of those kind of moments. Whoa, I didn't know. They didn't ask me permission, Um, but it was it was just a clip of me doing commentary Mm -hmm. on MSNBC. It's quite shocking. I hope my movie of my memoir doesn't get taken away from the facts, but I do have some script approval rights, so maybe I can can tell you nightmares. This has been fascinating, (laughs) and we thank you so much for sharing your experiences with us. It was wonderful. Thank you very much. No, yes, thank Joe, you. Thanks so much. Thanks, everybody. It was great, great being on with you. That was a uh, fun episode with Joe Trippy, who has just so many stories to tell about um, his time on campaigns on federal, state, local, and now with the Paul Vallis campaign in Chicago. Um, and there's a lot of news that we want to talk about um, today, including the first piece of news, which is um, right before we went live, we heard that a federal judge has ordered, or not federal judge, but Dominion basically wants a bunch of Fox executives as well as um, Fox anchors to testify in their trial uh, in their uh, $1.6 billion defamation lawsuit. So whenever that is, um, some of the people who are included in that list include people like um, Sean Hannity, Jay Wallace, who is a Fox exec, Sean, um, Tucker Carlson, Maria Bartiromo, uh, Bart, Bartiromo. Bartiromo. Yeah, Jill, you can, you, Bartiromo, yes. Um, Brett Beyer, um, Chris Starwell, Abby Grossberg, who is that uh, producer who uh, filed a new lawsuit against Fox. So there's a lot of people who they want to bring in. Um, Jill, I mean, this could be, I think, a really big moment for the country to hear directly from Tucker Carlson and Fox executives just what they did and could maybe change the playing field, I think. What do you think? Well, I hope that this will be a trial that is um, there are cameras allowed and it's live broadcast because, of course, I get my popcorn and sit there watching every second of it. Um, Yes, Yes. I think the emails and text messages were pretty darn dramatic, but hearing it live would be pretty dramatic, too. Uh, it, it's, it will be really important. And I think that um, Dominion, which should be able to settle this in a second, because the yeah, culpability yeah. is so clear to me that it's bad business for Fox to let this go any further and be any more public. But I think Dominion doesn't want to settle because they have, mm. they have they, all they, of this yeah. great yeah. testimony. So yep. yeah, I think it's really important. When you mentioned a federal judge, I think you were referring to Mike Pence. Who Mike was, Pence. Once yep. again, uh, yep. the courts have said, no, you can't use executive privilege to get out of testifying to criminal behavior. But do you think his appeal will work? Um, I, well, first of all, let me just say the instructions to him by the judge were he can use some legislative privilege claim. So no mm. executive privilege. And we know why there's no executive privilege. One, because only the He's incumbent president, president can, yeah. can yeah. exert it. And 
President Biden has said, no, this is too important. He wouldn't. But also because there's a crime fraud exception. And when you're about to right, engage right. in crimes, that testimony comes in over executive privilege. Um, he and that was Trump's argument against Pence testifying. Pence was using the speech and debate clause saying that he right, was right. no longer the executive branch member. He was actually a part of the Senate because he was serving as the Senate president. So it's unclear from, I haven't seen the exact ruling because it did just come down. Um, but from the language, it's not clear exactly how broad the exception will be, whether it will be for only his conduct on January 6th or whether it will include advice he was given about hmm. January 6th. You know, what conversations did he have with the president that said, here's what you have to do on January 6th, or his conversations right, right. with Eastman. Or, so I, I, I'm waiting to see how it plays out. Uh, but whatever the breath is, it's not going to be broad enough to protect the interesting information yeah. that I think will be extremely harmful to um, to President Trump, former President Trump. Um, so I, I think that'll be interesting. And then, of course, we have yeah. this week tons of other things to talk about, which are, oh, yes, we're waiting for indictments. The focus seems to be exclusively on New York, only on New York yep. and, and, and only on D.A. Bragg. Well, what about Georgia? What about the January 6th case in a special counsel Smith's investigation? What about the Mar-a-Lago documents, the classified documents case? Um, those are pretty interesting. What about E. Jean I mean, Carroll, I mean, whose case is going to start, goes to trial next month? Yeah. So I mean, the amazing Bain, part about Southern all of this District. is, I mean, the only, re the only reason why we're focused on this is because of that one Trump post on Truth Social saying that he would be arrested on last Tuesday. I mean, it's amazing and honestly a little bit sad that we're still falling for his his post. I mean, we should not trust anything this man says. I mean, he's lied what I think the Washington Post said 30,000 times during his time in office. I mean, we can't more. trust what comes out of his mouth and we can't more. Yeah, exactly. But I mean, what, what he posts on Truth Social, I mean, it drove the narrative and it continues to drive the narrative. I mean, that's all that um, the media and people on Twitter are talking about. Manhattan DA brag, but I totally agree with you and it's just stunning to me that he's able to write something on true social and still people pay attention to it and, and, and let it drive the narrative when it should not it's, he should have it's really no bad sway over that he can drive the narrative because yeah. not only has it diverted our attention from these other very serious crimes right. that he's uh, alleged to right. have committed and that is he's being investigated for but it keeps him in the news while diverting yep. us from the yep. other things that we should be paying attention to. Yeah. And it also creates an expectation that leads to disappointment because no matter right. what happens, right. if he decides they not to, it's really, yeah. if, that is if he, Bragg, decides right. not to indict, well, then it's a really big disappointment. If yeah. he does yeah. decide to, it's a, oh, so what? That's what we were expecting anyway. Why did it take so long? So I think right. it's really bad. And this goes back to what we talked to um, uh, Trippy about, to Joe Trippy about, which is how should the press be covering all of this right. to avoid wasn't that creating expectations? Right. 
And wasn't that a big mistake during 2016 and 2020 that basically, and during throughout the Trump administration, which is that every single tweet that Trump said drove the headlines for um, hours, days. And it's like, you know, we're at a time where this should not be, he's on true social for a reason. Um, and it's a failed social media platform and we should not be treating him like he is the president. And like, I mean, yes, his words, I guess, have consequences, but it should not be, it should not be doing, you know, the media, I think, has to spend a little bit less time covering what he posts on Truth Social. Well, and law enforcement has to pay specific attention to it because when That's he true. posts yeah. something of a picture of him with a baseball bat next to yeah, the head yeah. of Alvin Bragg, that is a direct threat to me. Yeah. And when that was he says so bad death that... and destruction, when he says go out right, and protest right. to save our country, we know what yep, happened yep. in January 6th. Thank heaven so far. His audience has not taken him up on it, but even Waco didn't end up in a mass yeah. devastating yeah. event, but it's always possible and we have well, past experience. So law enforcement should chilling, be watching. There's a chilling thread and, and hopefully we might be able to get her on this podcast, but Kathleen Bello, who studies white nationalism and white rage, um, she's currently a professor at Northwestern, actually. She's a history professor. Previously was at UChicago. She had this great thread on Twitter right after the Waco rally and said, we aren't talking enough about just the significance of Waco and how, just like Trippy said, this is only going to get worse. And this is yeah. going to unleash something that I don't think any of us are quite prepared for. And, you know, it wasn't like it was a crowd size of just a couple thousand. There were 15,000 people there who traveled all across the country to Waco, Texas. I mean, that's like, it's not a very popular area. Um, and so it's, it's it is really near dangerous. very big cities, though. It is near oh, Dallas and Houston. Yeah, so yeah. It, it is convenient. But you're right. The fact that that many people came, it's small compared to what he, I'm sure he was hoping for. Um, yeah. and, and you mentioned Waco, and I can't leave that without saying that um, one of my sister's in laws, uh, from the hashtag sisters in law Politicon podcast, um, had a Substack article based on her experience uh, yeah. in in Waco, and I think everyone should read that. Maybe we'll put that show note, yeah. or that link in our show note. Um, and you're and talking about Joyce about Vance, it. right? Yes, Joyce Vance, and we did discuss it on the last uh, episode of hashtag Sisters in Law because Waco is a symbol and it isn't a coincidence yeah. that he picked it no. as a place as to the hold first his campaign, rally. First campaign rally of 2024. Right. It's, right. That's even more. Um, well, this is, uh, we're, we're, we're approaching the end of time, but thank you everyone for watching and listening to this episode of iGen Politics. We'll see whether or not this week is indictment week, but like Jill said, there are many that we should be paying attention to, including Georgia, Eugene Carroll, Letitia James, January 6th, Mar-a-Lago. I mean, there's no shortage of investigations into Trump right now. And there's, it's very, it's moving at a very fast pace. Uh, we had some Mike Pence today. There's some other stuff regarding Evan Corcoran testifying, uh, Trump's lawyer. So lots of lots of news. We'll be back next Tuesday for another episode of iGen Politics. Be sure to like and subscribe to youtube.com slash Politicon so you don't miss our live episodes. And if you don't watch on YouTube, you can also watch or listen wherever you follow your podcast, whether it's Apple or if you're like Jill, um, Google or Spotify. Um, you can use those apps as well and find us there at iGen Politics. Um, so thank you all so much for watching or listening. We are grateful and we will see you next week. Have a nice weekend.